Welcome to the June 20th edition of the PFF Forecast. We have the fun one today. Uh, again, Eric and I, different parts of the world, coming together uh, on a Sunday morning. We're going to talk about a couple of corners that are still out there. Richard Sherman, uh, free agent Stephon Gilmore, still technically with the Patriots. A lot of trade rumors there. Who would be smart to go grab them? How the Bears are handling Justin Fields? What we make of whether that changes our opinion on Bears bets, because we've placed a few. Um, we're going to talk player uh, season-long props. There's some up at DraftKings, most notably some passing yardage props and some rushing yardage props. And that will lead us into a really fun conversation about running backs, uh, our top five running backs, and then extend it to some teams and players that have the most on the line this season. And of course, we'll close it out with some recommendations. Let's rock. I um, I look very red on on the camera. I want to say I know p- people are going to immediately go. He got burned to a crisp in in Mexico. I want to be known. It's eight a.m. here on the West Coast. I just washed my face and I've got this weird light situation. So don't assume the wrong thing about me. That's all I got to say. All I got to say. I mean, it was an underdog, but you're still good looking, George. Sorry. Like I, it, it's it's still it's still a thing. Um, the number of people that do, however, get burnt to crisp Mexican sun is different. I know we're not doing recommendations right now, but a recommendation, get a good face sunscreen and put it on every hour. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, even when we were in Vegas, it's like catches up to you quickly. And I can't imagine. I haven't been to Mexico since I was in like seventh or eighth grade. But uh, by the way, happy Father's Day to all the, uh, the men out there that have spawned children. Uh, that includes you, big dog. It does. And, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing them. We're we're currently in uh, a town called intercourse pennsylvania um, sorry wait what for a wedding yeah intercourse pennsylvania mm-hmm. it's about an hour and like 15 i guess west i didn't even pay attention it's like an hour and 15 minutes away from the philadelphia airport uh friend of ours mutual friend so city ben, of brotherly Lindsay love got married naturally, last night and what's that course from the city of brotherly love yes. naturally to intercourse Exactly. There, there's a there's obviously a, tra- a path that's been traveled before there. Um, and uh, my voice is a little hoarse, but it, it, it was a, a good time. And I'm excited to go back home and see uh, my children once this is over. What's the one song at a wedding where you're like, if they don't play this song, I'm out? Shout. <laughs> yeah, I, And I don't even think they played it. I think we tried really? to... It was lovely, but we 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 tried to get them to play shout, uh, and I don't think they did. But um, but yeah, shout, it, shout is obviously the one that that comes to mind for everyone. Um, I think there are a few a few in that zone. My favorite is this though: when you're ending the um, the party, and mm-hmm. and there's always an after party. You got to play closing time. Oh yeah. See, see, like in my experience growing up kind of like in the Midwest, but also marrying into a family like from the country, like Cotton Eye Joe is like the song that's played at every wedding and it's <laughs> awful every single time. And like, and it makes you like, okay, now it's time to go smoke a cigar. Like this, this is, you know, whereas closing time feels like if your cigar is not over, you like did not uh, fully partake. I don't want to talk about cigars. Let's talk about Richard Sherman and Svon Gilmore because there are a couple of corners that are out there. And I feel like we talk about this most years, which is um, there's a depression in the market relative to coverage players. We've seen it with safeties and really good deals come out with safeties. But it seems like the, there's nothing worse than being an older corner yeah. that has been good before because no one wants to pay the premium price for how good you've been. And yet there is an assumption, even if you've played well recently, that the cliff is right there and you're about to, you know, go yeah. out of parachute down it. Um, do you think that's fair? It's almost better. This is weird. It's almost better. Now, there have been some, uh, I think, uh, counter counters to that. Patrick Peterson getting kind of like a $10 million deal. But like when you talk about guys like Sherman, you talk about especially Gilmore. I think Gilmore is in sort of even a different tier at this point than, than Sherman is. Like, 
that deal is not going to satisfy you. A $10 million per year deal is not going to be good enough. And if you're, and, and if you're a hall of fame caliber player like Sherman, it's sort of similar as well. I know he didn't take that much when he did the Niners deal, but he was coming off of injuries and stuff like that and sort of negotiated his own deal also wanted to win. And they, they almost did win uh, in 19, but it, it's almost better. This is weird. Like five years ago, right? Like Terrence Newman was like constantly getting these like one year, two or $3 million deals, one million and, and still was competent. But like when you invest that little in a corner, it's sort of this perfect thing because if he plays badly, then you can sort of jettison him or you can draft Trey Waynes and no one's going to care. And it, you see that, you saw that recently, right? Where you saw Bashad Breeland go to Minnesota for a relatively modest deal. Um, you, you see, uh, you know, uh, Malcolm Butler go to Arizona for a better deal, I believe, than, than Patrick Peterson went to Minnesota for. Um, it, it's almost better to be a corner who's like in that like second or third tier uh, because you'll get a contract every time and teams are like more willing knowing how sort of streaky cornerback play is to pay a guy like that and have like a cornerback room full of guys than to pay an elite player. Because like we've seen the with Tremaine Johnson, we've seen Nandi Asamoah, we've seen like a number of players at that corner position where people thought they were paying for brilliance and they ended up getting like not that. And, and it can really hurt you because, again, like defensive back play is more of a collective thing than it is an individual thing. Yeah, that, that's another good point, right? You see, am, am I spending a certain percentage of my cap on one player when I don't have a super deep unit? Now, the Patriots, interestingly, have done that. I also think there's this weird, and I don't know if this exists within the league. I, I'm I think there's probably a little bit of it underneath there, which is if the Patriots are willing to trade me a player, do they know something I don't know? You know, it's like more so that way than there might be with any other team. And so you look at Stephon Gilmore, who, by the way, is 31 um, and has played brilliantly, but is heading into the last year of his deal. And so we'll certainly want a new deal. And if he plays well again, you know, he was at 13 APY in his last deal, you know, over the course of, I think it was five seasons um that that's a lot right that's a lot to pay for a guy if you don't have that kind of stable i'm curious do you think you know i don't know if it would cost up the second or a third round pick or something like that at this point would you make the move and if so you know who would you which team would you say is in a position where they could actually benefit from going and getting stefan gilmore yeah, by the way, Belichick, I can, I, kind of an example of just valuing coverage altogether, right? Like we've seen uh, Jason McCourty on small deals. We've seen with Lee Bodden. We've seen, I'm trying to think of the other, um, you know, Brandon Browner. And then he's also splashed on the Revises, the Ty Laws, and the, um, and the Gilmore. So it's really interesting, his approach. I think that Belichick makes an exception. Like, uh, and I heard this on Mina Khan's show. I think Greg Rosenthal is one to say he That is like the one position that Belichick makes exceptions, which is like shut down corner because he mm -hmm. sort of scaffolds his entire defense around that. I, I think they end up, you know, sort of getting it done, especially because the Patriots are sort of in win now mode. Like if you've already spent all this money on all these players, what's another 4 million, like in, the, in a particular season for Gilmore, given how good he can be. Um, but if I were a team that was sort of like on the cusp uh, and I had cap space, like I would certainly throw a second round pick at Gilmore. The, the issue is going to be, and we've seen this with Jamal Adams uh, and you're going to see it with Orlando Brown. If you trade for a veteran player, um, you better have that contract extension or reworking ready because like if a guy's unhappy with a deal where he currently is, he's not going to be happy where he goes, right? Like that, mm. that, that is, you know, I, it doesn't get much easier after the trade unless you have a contract. And a lot of teams, I don't think have like the cash, like some teams have cap, but I don't think they have the cash to absorb that big of a deal. Um, and the teams that do, like, I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to think of like who would um, they've already made big plays in free agency right now. And, and even though they have a ton of cap space, like they've pushed things around so that almost every team right now is spending above and beyond the 180 million that they were allocated. Yeah, you also think about teams in win now mode and you go, okay, well, a lot of them have also to get in that mode, given up a ton of, of draft capital. So you're looking at a team that maybe wants to, to play around a little bit more with winning this year um, and, and values, you know, say, okay, the second round pick, the, kind of the way that the, the Rams think about it. And that's why 
I don't know. I, I, if he's truly on the trading block and personally, if I'm, if I'm the Patriots, I, all the moves that you've made in free agency are, as you said, win now moves. So trading him to me does not make sense because you're going to get a second round pick down the road. He will, it'll be three years before that player contributes. Um, and you've made all these investments in, in players that are going to help, not going to be helping you really in three years, right? If we're being realistic yeah. and people get mad about that, but it's like, no, no, no. Like look at how that, that works. Um, and, and so if you go down the list and you're like, okay, where, where are some of these win now teams and do they need coverage players? And then do they have cap? Like the list gets really, really small, really quickly. Um, the one place that I thought was really interesting, but there's no way they're going to trade him here. Um, would be the Miami Dolphins, who obviously still have Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, um, but you know the Brian Flores connection there. Um, I want to say Xavier Howard is also unhappy and holding out. Yes, exactly. Like, the, like it doesn't yeah. make sense, you know, for for them to actually go do that. Um, so I think the best place for for Gilmore uh, certainly is in New England. I think it's the best place for and, him, and I think and, it's the best place for. Um, uh, for the, the Patriots from the Patriots perspective, I will and give you Patriots one more. The Patriots aren't though. good enough to win now while trading a corner like Gilmore. Like they're okay. not, they're not a, you know, like the Packers could trade Zaire, Zaire Alexander and still probably be okay. If, if Rogers was playing um, the, the Ravens could maybe trade like Marlon Humphrey and still be good. Um, I don't think the Rams could trade Jalen Ramsey and still be good, but like mm-hmm. there are team, if your team is not one that has like an elite quarterback and a great offense, then you shouldn't be trading. Like you're like that team, the path for the Patriots to be good and to win is extremely narrow. It's to have a good defense reminiscent of 2019 or earlier and have an offense that is appreciably better than last year. But like, there's no universe where Cam Newton's an MVP this year. Like there isn't. And and you're otherwise think you're otherwise banking on a middle of the first round quarterback who I think we all like, but is not like that again. That's not a path. And so like trading Gilmore from a defense that had was extremely creaky relative to expectations a season ago it is not smart if you're trying to win now. If they're trying to rebuild, then that's fine. And I and I get that, but I don't think that that's really what they want to do. I'll give you a, a couple more teams here that I think could make some sense. Now this number would be a little tricky. The Titans, I believe, I'm looking at overcap.com right now. I think they have $7 million in cap space. They desperately need coverage players, desperately. And especially after drafting Caleb Farley, who I would not expect. Do not expect that guy to be cornerback number one, like just immediately out of the gate. It is a tough adjustment there. Going in and linking up with Frable, uh, I think would be a great place for him. A couple more that are interesting, teams that do have cap space. Your Chargers. They have a decent amount of cap space. Uh, Brandon Staley comes in, and Brandon Staley loves to have corners, as we saw with the with the Rams, where they are chess pieces and he can move them around. And I think that would be one of them. Certainly, they're not. I don't know technically in win now mode, um, but they have a rookie corner. Uh, sorry, rookie quarterback, where it makes perfect sense to come in and bring some of these players who you might have to pay a little bit of money to. Um, so those are the two that really come to mind for me in terms of it makes sense and they have that space. You know, you could you could talk about the Niners. When we talk about Sherman here, like the Niners are another team that has, um, you know, cornerback need. Certainly, I think everyone in the league has cornerback need. Um, but based on where they're going to be spending their money, right, it, it doesn't make sense totally down the road going with an older an older corner. Yeah, and the Chargers drafted Asante Samuel Jr. in round two to replace Casey Hayward, more or less. Um, that was probably a good move. They, they traded Desmond King last year. They're not as thick in the secondary as they used to be. Um, obviously, the Jets and Jaguars have a ton of space. The Browns uh, and Broncos, Broncos and Browns have done yeoman's work on their secondary this offseason, so it really goes down to that. Um, Jaguars not really in win-now mode. Jets aren't either, although – and then the Jets are sort of a rival of New England for whatever that's worth. So, yeah, it, the, the margins are thin there uh, at the cornerback position as far as, like, suitors. And that, you know, gets back to the whole Julio thing. Like, you talk about the Titans, like, the Titans traded what an asset that they probably would have to trade for Gilmore for Julio Jones, you know. So, like, that, that, that of course, you know, makes things more complicated. 
Um, and, and, and again, it's more than just the draft pick, right? It's more than just the, the compensation uh, on draft day for these guys. It's the, it's the dollars and cents. And those are, of course, uh, difficult to spin, especially, you know, when you're, when you have as much dead money as a team like, you know, the Jets or, or the Titans do. And I think it's interesting. You look at Gilmore, um, his performance year to year. And, you know, from a PFF grade standpoint, it was not his finest moment last year in coverage. And that to me, I'm not actually that worried about it. We know coverage is so unstable that I am going to take that as a, as a data point amongst a lot of data points. I'm not going to look at it as the start of necessarily a downward trajectory, um, you know, where he looked the, the year before he had allowed one touchdown at six interceptions, 14 forced incompletions. That's a remarkable ratio, right? Um, and the, the year, this past season, just one interception, one forced incompletion. So, or sorry, three forced incompletions. Now, albeit on some uh, fewer snaps, but the, the numbers were not as good last year, um, allowed almost 10% higher completion rate into his coverage. But there were a lot of issues with that Patriots defense where they were not as strong all around. And so that would be something that I would definitely take into consideration here. I still think he's capable of, you know, top five to top 10 cornerback play. It just may, may be that you don't get it for as long. Um, speaking for not getting it for as long, Richard Sherman, another guy who has dealt with a ton of injuries um, is up there. Um, he's going to be 34 at the end of next season. He's 33 yeah, 33 right now um, on pff.com. You can look at the free agency tracker and what Brad Spielberger has for a projected contract. Um, and he has two years, 14 a year on average. I don't know if he's getting anywhere near that now. Um, if there's a team that's going to come in and sign him, but I gotta be honest with you, the teams that make the most sense in my opinion for Richard Sherman, especially knowing that, you know, he is a West Coast guy through and through. He's played on the West Coast, was born on the West Coast, went to college on the West Coast. Um, the, the Seahawks, the Niners still um, make the most sense to me. And then I think in third place, you look at a team like um, like the Raiders, who don't have a lot of cap room and would have to figure some things out, certainly. Already um, already thinking about not playing Damon Arnett a year after drafting him. I right. mean, Damon Arnett did, like, just, like, sign up for AARP, but – you know, that seems like a little bit of a, a rough uh, uh, turn of events. There. Don't you think the Chargers are a fit too? Like that yeah. cover, you know, like he, he sort of doesn't have to be everybody, everything to everybody there. Um, you know, he'd more be the the, the Darius Williams uh, to the Jalen Ramsey there um, more than he would be the, uh, you know, then being the Jalen Ramsey, I would say. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. I also like... I think that at some point there becomes a time when he's like an option for a team like Kansas city, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, when Kansas city signed Daryl Vivas in the middle of 2017 um, it was like, they had been courting him for a calendar year and it eventually got to the pl place where the prorated deal was enough for them to stomach. Um, stuff like that is, is sort of, I think also in play the bills that I know he doesn't like to play, he, he wouldn't want to, he might not want to play on the East coast, but that's like a classic bills move, right? Like every right corner that's played for Buffalo since Tredavious White's joined has been of that ilk. Sherman would be the best of those guys. The, the Vontae Davis is the, the uh, Josh Normans, like those guys. Um, but that is certainly something that's on the, in the bills wheelhouse is to sign somebody like Sherman. And if Sherman wants to win another ring, the bills are a contender for sure. And here's what, I, here's the interesting thing about these two guys, Sherman at, at Gilmore's age two years ago was the highest graded corner in the yep. NFL. He was amazing. He was cornerback one. He was worth over a win above replacement for a cornerback. That's insane. He was that good after an Achilles injury after the age of 31. Um, now last year, as anyone could have predicted after that long run, after he played through probably a little bit of injury there towards the end of the season, did not play nearly as many snaps. But I think you look at the, the potential scheme fit, and also, when Trent Williams was on the podcast with Chris and Richard, you should go back and listen to it if you haven't. He said Kansas City felt like a great fit to him. I think that may be a little too far off the West Coast, 
But ultimately, it's in the AFC West, though, George. I feel like it's, yeah. it's close enough. It's 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 on the border, I think. And the the fact that it would be the Chiefs and that it would be the Super Bowl favorite, and you have a chance to help put them over the top to play with Tyron Matthew in that backfield. I know the respect between Sherman and Matthew is is massive. That I think you hit the nail on the head. It would be a matter of them figuring out a way to make um, it also make that number work. It also is the classic. Like we talk about, I talked about how Buffalo builds the cornerback position behind Tredavious White. It's the Chiefs, like, I mean, who have been the Chiefs' corners since Spagnola took over? Talk about Bashad Breeland at basement level prices. Uh, Trevarius Ward, he was with uh, Sutton, but like he's really, you know, come into his own. Legereus needs a fourth round pick. Bo P. Keys is like a sixth round pick. And then they, they find these guys, DeAndre Baker, Mike Hughes, who are great pedigree guys, but have, have something wrong with them, right? And like Sherman has nothing wrong with him other than the fact that the, the league views him as older and he's had some injuries, but like, it is a classic chiefs. Like the chiefs don't invest capital into the cornerback position. They, they, they very much, I think, understand maybe like the thing that we've come up with, which is the, the goal is to find three guys who can play all the time and who can play well. And don't be so don't have your ego get in the way of what three guys those are. Um, Morris Claiborne was a guy last you know, they, he won a Super Bowl ring with the Kansas City, a former top five pick that they brought in just to be a back, like, just to sort of be support. And, and, you know, that might that might be the situation Sherman's in, especially with the injuries he's had, like just playing 500 snaps or something like that. And he could be a contributor. Let's move to the Bears. Matt Nagy on the aforementioned Chris Collinsworth podcast uh, declared famously, uh, potentially that Andy Dalton is the starter. That is a direct quote. Andy Dalton is our starter. Now that feels like one of those things that you should put on, you know, a, a, a image and throw it out on, on Twitter so that when Justin Fields ends up starting, you can remind everyone that like coaches speak doesn't matter. So I'll start with this. You hear that. What do you make of it? Are you believing it? Are you assuming, okay, this means that they're, they're, as he then mentioned later on the podcast, and you should go listen to the whole thing, um, we are following the Chiefs model, the Mahomes model. What do you make? I of? get worried, man. I, the thing is, though, like the Chiefs model is different, right? Because Alex Smith, remember that, thir- that Thursday night football game to start 2017? And Alex Smith was like, you know, lit the Patriots on fire on the road, mm-hmm. like, and they started five and zero, oh, and he led the league in passing, like that. I would agree that if Andy Dalton did that in his in during his starts, okay, follow the Chiefs model. Every other time a team tries to do that, the same exact season, by the way, right, twenty seventeen, mm-hmm. Mike Lennon started the first five games for the Bears, and he was supposed to start the whole season, and it just like wasn't happening, right? And like these teams. And that was John Fox, who was a lame duck coach. And it was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I got to put him in. Uh, Tom Savage started opening day for Houston against Jacksonville. Remember that? That was one of our Mm -hmm. bets. Uh, Like, I think it was like Jags plus five and a half. And they were, they like, it was one half. Tom Savage made one half uh, uh, as the starter before Deshaun Watson went in. Um, Blake Bortles, it was like three games. Chad Henney, like, was supposed to be the starter the whole season. Like, everybody has these, like, these declarations and you almost need like I think John Kitna was one like they the Bengals drafted Palmer first and Kitna had like a really good season and they went eight and eight and then that was you know rarely do these guys who have the position Dalton has right now end up playing well enough for it to be worth it to keep the guy on the bench so Mm -hmm. I don't know uh, Ben Brown and I on the PFF daily betting podcast should give that a listen we we did talk about the plus 200 we talked about it before the Nagy uh interview I still I don't know if plus 200 is a good bet to start opening day for fields like you know one in three chance basically is break even but I I wouldn't be worried if I'm a Bears fan that you're going to see Dalton play like 10 or more games like I think it's going to be and if he does play that much he's going to be playing well like they're not going to sit here and watch him play and play terribly um you know what I'm saying because I think the Chiefs the comparison with the Chiefs is just so stretched like Alex was the quarterback for the Chiefs for five years and like they weren't just going to bench him and whereas Dalton's like a, been a bear for like two months like who cares? you know I, I just I don't see it I I think it's all coach speak right now I'm glad I'm glad we agree here I love Matt Nagy 
I think this is absurd. I, I think this is absolutely preposterous. Um, there are a couple of main reasons. The first is, as you mentioned, Alex, the comparison between Alex Smith and Andy Dalton is not fair. <laughs> like Andy Dalton is, was a backup last year and he was signed. If you look at his contract <laughs> as a backup this year, that is what he is making. Alex Smith had been the starter was a former number one overall pick and had been entrenched in that position. And Patrick Mahomes came in and was great. And that was what spurred the, the switch. That's the, the thing I want to highlight. It's about whether the player you brought in, Justin Fields or Patrick Mahomes, whoever it is, is a really good quarterback. That is, that is the impetus for making the switch. It has nothing to do with some model where it's like, hey, look, if he sits behind him, he was average before, but then after this year of sitting behind Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes became great. That's complete bullshit. You ended up drafting one of the best, most talented, most driven quarterbacks at pick after was it pick fourteen or whatever it is. Uh, and the the reason for that, sorry, he was ten, right? Okay. Um, at pick number ten, and that is why he was fantastic. So I don't think Nagy is so naive as to think that the reason Patrick Mahomes was great was because he sat behind a decent starter in Alex Smith. And that the reason just Justin Fields would be great is because he sits behind a backup in Andy Dalton. Now, and, it, and the, go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say it worries me. It worries me for week one, though, because I do think what he is doing is he is taking pressure off of Justin Fields. If he comes out right now and says, Justin Fields is our starter, then all that can happen are bad things. Right. Justin Fields is going to come out and he's going to play well, but not great in some practice. And he's going to throw an interception and people are going to lose their minds about it. And that, you know, that isn't going to help. If he comes out and lights up practice, well, then it doesn't fucking matter. But expectations go through the roof. So to me, he had to say this and I would make absolutely nothing of it. I do think, however, that it means in week one that Andy Dalton is going to start, especially because it's on Sunday night football. And we all know Andy Dalton in late games, his pass rating drops like 30 points. I think it's, it's, it drops to below 70. Um, he is not great. I remember the Chiefs and the Bengals played a Sunday night game, and it was perhaps the most embarrassing performance of a quarterback's career. I mean, it that, was the fact that that game disaster. went under because Spencer Ware tripped over the five yard line with like three minutes to play is still like haunting my dreams. Like, I, I, yeah, and the Dalton Dalton was Dalton got picked sixth in that game by Ron Parker, who I'm pretty sure at the time ran a slower forty than you do right now. What about that? And, and and like the thing the thing is also true. Like you had, like the thing that's also true is the 2016 Chiefs were 12 and four and coming off of a two seed, they selected Mahomes for a very 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 different reason than the Bears selected Fields. The the Chiefs. The Chiefs selected Mahomes to get over the Super Bowl hump. The Bears are coming off of a 500 season where they were really outclassed in the playoffs by a team that was not very good in New Orleans, like as far as top-end talent. They were beatable, and the Bears just couldn't do it. The Bears drafted Justin Fields to get to where, you know, to get somewhere between where the Chiefs were with Alex Smith and where the Chiefs are now with, with Mahomes. Like, they're, they're trying to become a consistent contender in the NFC – and, and like, and, and on the path from going from good to great, like the, the elite, like a transitory year is fine. Like that 2017 year for Kansas city was about figuring out, can you win with a good offense and a bad defense? Cause that's how they were going to sort of like transition into the Super Bowl years. The bears right now are still trying to play football the exact same way that they played it last year. They just want to insert a better quarterback at a good price. And like, to me, you don't need to figure anything out this year if you're Chicago, right? Like, what are you learning about your team this year? With Andy Dalton playing quarterback? You know, whereas whereas in 17 with Mahomes, you were learning about Tyreek Hill because he took over for Jeremy Macklin as number one. You were finding out about Kelsey because he changed from a, a yak tight end to a down-the-field tight end. Like, they changed their offense and just played Smith through it because there was a chance their defense was so bad that, that Mahomes was going to have the same shit he had to deal with the Texas Tech, mm -hmm. right, which is – losing games 60 to 50 and ultimately it worked out for them. The bears are still trying to win with good talent on the roster and a quarterback that just doesn't 
fucking lose it for them. And and the cool thing about Fields is that he has upside where now not only can they win the way that they used to win, which they're eight games over 500 the last three years, but now they have a Super Bowl potential. They have a quarterback. People They have hope. They have a quarterback that people are excited about. I do agree with you, though, as far as think about if you install Fields now as a starter and he gets benched, let's say he plays so poorly in August that you can't start him. Like he's just like he doesn't have it or whatever. Then everything that happens this season is, is viewed as a negative, right? Like you lose that hope. You're, you're naggy. You're trying to push the narrative around. You're everything's bad. But let's say let's say Fields is just light like he, he's not good enough. And Dalton comes in and he plays well. Okay, that's fine. You don't lose anything. And then if Fields plays amazingly and you install him and he does great, then you're this pragmatic coach that made it that changed his mind because he saw new information. And guys like us will praise him for that because it's smart. So I think he's just setting up, he's setting it up for the best narratives too. And I think as much as we don't think that that matters that much to a guy who's like on his last leg as a head coach, like I think it matters a little bit. I, I 100% agree. And, and the fact that their first game is Sunday night against the Rams with a defense that I do, we think will regress because they're losing Brandon Staley and defense regresses, but that's still a very, very, very tough spot. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's a sacrifice. <laughs> it's a human sacrifice is what it is. That said, the bears right now are, are plus seven in Los Angeles. We talked about liking that. I refuse. I categorically refuse to bet on Andy Dalton, especially with an offensive line. I do think this is why Fields might get a little bit uh, a bigger, give them a bigger boost because his mobility will really help stall the defense, you know, with their ability to actually threaten with the run. Um, but man, I, I am, I think that number is a good number. I would, I would bet the bears in almost any circumstance, but just not with Andy Dalton. I think it's ridiculous that they're a seven point underdog, even with an average quarterback. But Andy Dalton on Sunday night, I refuse, Eric. I will not. Yeah, I, I think that's a very rational Thank take you. on the situation. We will get right to uh, season-long player props here in a second. But I should mention that if you are going to check out anything regarding season-long player props, fantasy rankings, fantasy projections, go to pff.com right now. There's a couple of great things. Our projections are already live, obviously. If you have an Edge subscription, which is just $40 for the whole freaking year, Um, Those are live on the site. We also have our best ball draft kit, which is a great way to prepare yourself for the upcoming season by playing a bunch of best ball drafts, seeing where players are getting drafted and the best ball draft kit at PFF. Even if you've never played it before, it'll take you through the whole thing. You'll be a pro in no time. Also go check out Ian Hart's fantasy football podcast, the PFF fantasy football podcast. It is a must listen if you are trying to play fantasy football this year. So head over to PFF, check out all of that great content. We'll also mention that symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L. It's a stock market for pro sports. It's awesome. You can buy and sell shares of your favorite teams. You can trade them uh, and then you can get paid when they win games. You get paid a dividend based on how many games they win. Go to S-I-M-B-U-L-L.app slash PFF. You deposit 10 bucks. You get a free year of PFF Edge. So all the stuff I just told you about, you get it for 10 bucks if you deposit it simple and then you get to spend all this time investing over the summer. So there's no reason why you need to think of this as an off season. There is no off season in football. Go check out all that good stuff on pff.com and symbol. And now season long player props season long. Are you at all worried about any of the season long bets on the bears? You know, they're over um, any of those division futures. Uh, Does that, are you backing off those at all? No, I think the tail risk is almost entirely in on the good side for them right if mm-hmm. the vikings stink if the if the packers trade uh aaron Rodgers, i don't think there's tail risk of the lions being good right yep. and you, you know so I, i'm fine I, I i'm i'm okay with with uh the season long stuff for them their their schedule is not easy their defense is a little bit regret probably going to regress a little bit but i'm fine with it yeah right now they're uh, uh win total seven and a half over is plus one of three and they are plus 350 to win the division uh, on DraftKings. I believe we bet the Bears at plus 450 um, mm-hmm. to, to win the division over seven and a half, 17 games. Um, look, they, <laughs> Andy Dalton's a step up, as we've talked about, from the quarterbacks they had last year. Even if they get blown the hell out 
um, because Dalton stinks on Sunday night. That's not uh, that's not that tall of an order. Um, let's move to some season long props since we were talking about these and we're on uh, we're on DraftKings here. Um, and there are now some up that used to be just the the rookies. There are now a bunch of player passing yardage props. If you go to DraftKings.com, um, that you can find and bet. Um, let's start there, Eric. Um, we obviously have fantasy projections that allow us to kind of look at the mean projection for a lot of these guys and give us some intuition as to, you know, where there's value here. Are there any narratives or, or theses that you have about how to bet these that are carrying through here? Or are you just going kind of one by one and looking at where there's discrepancy? I, I think the thing that's interesting here and back me if I'm, if I'm, if I'm right, or, you know, drag me if I'm wrong, <laughs> I think, I think merely taking a 16 game projection and multiplying it by 17 divided by 16 is wrong for every position except quarterback hmm. in the NFL. Like guys get hurt guys, sick games. I think for running backs and wide receivers, you're probably going to be on more unders than you otherwise would, because maybe the books are not incorporating that mm-hmm. or not incorporating it enough. Right. Because like, mm-hmm it's not as simple as, as just multiplying by 17 divided by 16 and moving forward. You're going to have guys sit more games. You're going to have like, it's good. I, I, I'd be interested to see how many players actually play 17 games, except for quarterbacks because quarterbacks play every game. They play every snap of every game and injuries to the quarterback position while they happen. This isn't really like the injuries to the quarterback position. Like you're under you're if you're betting an over, you basically lose. If you bet an under, you basically win if there's an injury at the quarterback position. Like, and the degree to which you win or lose those bets doesn't matter. This isn't a points bet situation. Right. So for quarterbacks, I like a fair amount of overs in terms of passing yards. Like I like the one that I want to talk about. There's two I want to talk about today. I like Lamar Jackson over 3,200 yards uh, and a half at minus 125. That number's moved since we did the daily betting podcast the other day uh, towards the over. And the other one that I do like um, – and this one is tricky, but I, it's sort of like my, my worldview here. I like Daniel Jones over 3,800 yards. Um, Kenny Galladay's over is also like part of this, but like, mm-hmm. I think that he's going to play every game and I think that he's going to play well enough to go over this number. By the way, you can go see all of the projections with a PFF Edge subscription, which is an absolute steal. It's only $40 for the whole freaking year. Um, and you can see all of these right now on PFF.com. Both of the projections support um, overs there pretty emphatically. Um, I agree with you 100%, especially because we're going to talk about running backs here in a second. But what the Giants get back with Saquon Barkley is, a, is another receiver. And they're not going to, they're not going to run this, this season is not about figuring out whether Saquon Barkley can be a horse upon which they can build their team. I think they've already realized that he had an incredible year. They went nowhere. He was injured for a whole year and it rested on the passing game. And that is what is going to take them or break them. And that's why they've invested so much. So they're not going to run Saquon Barkley into the ground. That also means he's going to be a part of the passing game. They have a really deep receiving core, obviously adding Kenny Galladay. Now there's been some weirdness with Kadarius Tony, but they have um, Darius Slayton, uh, Sterling Shepard, some good players there at, in, in the receiving end with Evan Ingram, who if he can ever catch the ball is always a threat. So th- that one, especially for a team that I think is being a little overvalued in the market in terms of defense, not because they won't be really good on defense, but because defense regresses a little bit, right? And they were really good last year. Um, they, they might be in some games where people feel they're going to be defensive battles and they might have a few more shootouts than people anticipate. Um, here, here's the one. I'm glad you didn't mention this one because I think this one is actually my favorite. The Lamar Jackson one is great. Baker Mayfield at, at 3850.5. And the reason, you know, our projections have him um, over the four, uh, 4,100, uh, over 4,300. Um, and I think about this next year with Stefanski and I look back to last year and I go, do you realize how well Baker Mayfield played in games where this wasn't about just running the ball over teams, but in games where he had to throw the ball, you know, to try and win the game. And I think mostly about that chiefs game to me, that confidence in Baker Mayfield doesn't just have to be a play action guy. Like he can drop back 
and make great throws. Um, top five PFF grade from a clean pocket last year. Um, that is something that I think carries over to this year. Um, they still have a fantastic offensive line. Another year with Stefanski. Um, I, I think Baker sales over um, uh, 38.50.5. Yeah. The, the interesting thing with Baker is you had a, a four games, sorry, a five game stretch in the season where he threw for 119 yards, 297. This was in Cincinnati over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had the three games all at home that were like snowstorms, like snownamis. And it was like 122 against the Raiders, 132 against Houston, and 204 against Philly. That game became kind of a slugfest, and they had to throw a little bit more. But, like, you know, the way he finished the season in games that, like, had decent weather, 258 against Jacksonville, 334 against Tennessee, 343 in that fun Monday night game where Lamar Jackson shit his pants, uh, 297 against the Giants, 285 against the Jets when he had no wide receivers that day. And then the, the Pittsburgh game where, you know, Pittsburgh was kind of playing their back to 196. Like he threw for 3,600 yards last year and they were a run first team. And they also like had like, like again, three games with, with terrible weather and another game where they, they didn't have their wide receivers, all that goes up. And then Cleveland is a smart team. They'll try to figure out what they have in Mayfield. That's mm-hmm. the other thing too, that I don't think people are, are baking into this cake. Last one I'll mention Tom Brady's at 4,500.5. He's clearing 5k. Okay. He's clearing 5k. He's going to win the MVP. If you bet that 16 to one, you're welcome. I think it's down to 12 to one. Now um, let's go to some uh, rushing yards totals to piggyback into our top five running backs in the NFL. Um, agnostic of cost so that we can talk about guys that were drafted in the first round without hating on them. Yeah. Um, but you look at some of these yardage totals, uh, which ones stick out to you? Obviously just, you know, based off the conversation we just had where it's like, it's different than with quarterbacks who, you know, are going to play every single snap. Yeah. The one over I do like is McCaffrey, um, Christian McCaffrey. Uh, let me, let me see what that He's, is. Again. He is at 1,025 and a half. Yeah, just a little over. Uh, a thousand yards I think if he's healthy like we we didn't get to see the season last year where the Panthers tried to explain his pick by giving him tons of volume Mm -hmm. that's going to be this year and I think he gets over that he's a very talented running back he's very good yeah here the the overs not quite as um (laughs) as easy to yeah to try and bet here I mean I'll talk about the Saquon Barkley one he's at 1175 and a half um and I, I would, you know, I know under is minus 124. So that gives me a little bit of pause. I think if it were closer to even money, both sides, um, I would definitely go under there. And the, and the reasoning is I think a receiver, Saquon Barkley, versus trying to give him a ton of handoffs. Um, and again, our projection has him going under that number as well. Um, here's a really interesting one, which is Derrick Henry, 1550.5. That is a massive number, massive. We have him projected at just over 1,400 yards. Um, are you betting the under there, or are you trying to stay away from the Derrick Henry train? I'll stay away. I think last year, if you bet him over, like, every week, it was just, like, a just an mm-hmm. absolute sender. But, like, his – it ended up being, like, what, like, 118 and a half. Like, they're just hanging numbers now. Um, there's going to be the time he gets in, like injury is obviously going to tank that um, ineffective play throwing the ball to Julio um, and, and AJ Brown more uh, Todd Downing. We don't know how that like I can't go over this number, but I can't I, I don't know if I can go under it, uh, obviously, because of just all the risk with the running back. I give you one more. And I know we're, we're under centric here, but Miles Sanders over under is a thousand point five yards. The Philadelphia Eagles are going to stink. Um the opportunities for Miles Sanders to rack up rushing yardage, I do not, I would not get excited about. Can he have a really good year? <laughs> Absolutely. But it's going to be because he's going to get like 60 targets. Um, yeah. And so I think Miles Sanders also, we've seen, you know, just like the injury stuff there, the fact that they're not going to be very good. The only thing that gives me a little pause is Jalen Hurts being a rushing threat makes it so advantageous for runners, but a thousand yards is a lot. Um, I would go under as our projections would there. The one guy we have not talked about is Ezekiel Elliott. Um, his, his total 1100.5, a lot of buzz about Zeke, 
Um, so to, to kick this off, let's do top five running backs for, let's just say if you had to pick a running back for the next three years, two to three years, um, who would your top five be? Okay. Um, I, I, my last spot, I pivoted just last second, but my top five in this order are Nick Cub, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, and Christian McCaffrey. Those are my top five running backs. An honorable mention to Saquon Barkley, um, but those are my five. So say those again. Nick Chubb, yeah. Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, and Christian McCaffrey in that order. So did you, did you kind of – it seems to me like you didn't prioritize receiving a ton throughout that, but then your number one guy is certainly the best receiver of that group. Uh, well, Camara, Camara is not like as productive as a, of a runner as the other four, mm-hmm. but he, but he certainly the receiving makes him second for me. Like he's that good. Chubb is just like the best runner in football. Like it's not, I don't think it's particularly close either. Like Chubb's like rushing yards above expert, however you want to like measure that. Like he, he and Henry are the two better ones. I think Henry doesn't offer Henry offers less as a receiver in my opinion than Chubb I think with Chubb it's just about opportunity they don't give him a ton of chances to catch but he's certainly good at it um Cook I I think Cook and McCaffrey are a step below those those top three but their versatility and just like they're very good uh put them in my group for me okay all right here's here are my top my top five running backs um at number five I'm gonna go with Saquon Barkley and the reason I'm put Saquon Barkley in there, even though he's coming off an injury, is to me receiving matters an absolute ton. And with the ball in his hands, if you design an offense well, I think Saquon Barkley can be absolutely insane as a receiver. And I think maybe we see that this year. Uh, number four, I'm going to go with Derrick Henry. Um, and I know that feels super, super low. The only reason I'm doing that is because of the receiving component of things. Um, and I would agree with you, like as a runner, Dude is an absolute Mack truck. I'm not trying to get in front of that. Um, at, at number three, um, I'm going to go with Nick Chubb as well. Um, and the reason, as you said, is like the guy's yards after contact are more than a lot of guys' um, <laughs> yards per carry. There's over four. Um, at number two, I'm going to go with Christian McCaffrey. Uh, as you said, like the dyna- dynamism of the guy is, is nuts. And I have to, out of just pure devotion, I'm putting Alvin Kamara at number one. Um, and I'm doing this because I can. People can get mad at me if they want. I'm I'm drafting a running back for the next two, two to three years. It's not going to make the biggest difference on my team. And if I'm going to have a guy, I want a guy with as much swagger as Alvin Kamara has. But I also will say this. As a receiver and as a runner, I think he's the best combination of the two um, that, that we have out there. And uh, he's also pretty damn durable. So that's my guy. We differed. All the Vikings fans that want to hate, I yes. took Dalvin Cook and you took Saquon Barkley. Um, Dalvin Cook. I, I think Dalvin the wheels come off of Dalvin Cook at some point soon, but he's been extremely good. He's been amazing. And the, the thing with Dalvin Cook, you know, I know he had a little bit better of a receiving year, but so much of it has come off screens. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, a, he's an amazing runner. I think he and Nick Chubb are right there as the best, you know, two of the best runners in the league. Um, but um, I also, you know, I just, I, I had to pick a little bit based on durability too. And um, I'm going to ride with, with Nick Chubb being more durable there. Um, people are going to really hate those. Let's close out. Um, so, so basically are we saying that Zeke is, um, it's kind of past his, uh, his prime here. I don't think Zeke has been good for like three years. And I wrote the article, I got told to quit my job and I was going to get fired and Zeke has Zeke hasn't Zeke was negative last year in terms of like rushing yards over expected using mm-hmm. our data. Like he's just not good. Like he's just not a good football player. And he fumbles. Like he, he like when you run the ball and you fumble, I sorry, I can't. And and I think he tanked that offense in many ways last year. I think that his his contract is the one of the worst, if not the worst, contracts in all of football. Um, he's just not very good. And and I think we we praise him because he's probably going to play in a good offense. He's going to get touches, but like I don't know. I, I I morally I don't think I can have Zeke on any of my fantasy teams because it's just like he's a bad football player. Like I sorry. Yeah, he had six fumbles last year. Um, 
five as a runner and uh, one as a receiver. Um, and I, the, the thing with Ezekiel Elliott is he's been a star since he was at Ohio State. He was picked high and he now plays for the Cowboys. So we're talking about him. Like that's, that's the reason, right? I think if this were any other situation with any other player, maybe he's a second round pick, like the efficiency, you're right, just isn't there. As far as a receiver, he's nothing, you know, particularly special. Um, his average, you know, average four yards per carry last year. Um, I think people want him to be good more than he is actually good. So I'm not going to say he's a bad football player because um, all football players are good. And you've said this before, like all running backs are good. That's kind of the thing. Being a good running back doesn't do it. The guys that we just mentioned are exceptional, exceptional at what they do. And um, I, I just don't think Zeke is there. I'll be very interested to see what that does to the Cowboys offense. Because if they go in and they're like, hey, we have to feed Zeke all the time, that'll be taking away explosive opportunities for what could be the best offense in the NFL with Dak. And then obviously that trio of receivers. So um, yards per game and yards per touch have declined monotonically every single season of his career. There you go. Yeah. The offensive line, not as good in Dallas. Okay. We're running towards the end here. Um, Let's do some recommendations to get out of this. Uh, I have have some recommendations aside from the whole, like use a sunscreen, even though I swear to God, and it's the it's this weird lighting here but um your recommendation for the people eric i've been i've been reading some books that i think are like maybe maybe not like appropriate for this just given they're not like they're not neutral so i'm gonna go with a something i think we can all rally around okay i was on the air i was on the plane the other day and i watched a movie that i hadn't watched since like in like a decade and it still is amazing Old school, Vince Vaughn, <laughs> Luke Wilson, yes. uh, uh, Will Ferrell's like last good movie. Like, um, you know, just an absolute, I forgot how funny that movie was. And so like a blast from the past, if you're, if you're, if you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is free on my like service or something. Should I, should I give it a whirl? I've already seen it before. The answer is yes. It's a great movie. Um, I'm not going to recommend Wedding Crashers, even though that'd be my recommendation every time i have some travel recommendations um for everybody here as an astute traveler okay first two are really obvious you're traveling get tsa pre-check it's really not that big of a pain in the butt it can save you like hours at the at the airport get you through security very quickly i know that's an old one but global entry when you're coming back into the states and you have to wait in customs if you have global entry you just walk straight through i never even took out my password uh, just they take a picture of your face, you're good to go. So those are two big travel hacks. The third one is buy a, so you take a long flight, say you're going, you know, East coast to Mexico. Uh, you, you get it from the airplane and you're like, oh my God, I could, like, my back is totally screwed. They're, they're, they can be free. Bring a shirt or a sweatshirt, roll it up, put it right in your lower back as you're sitting. You could buy a, a actual pillow, like an inflatable pillow if you want it, but you can just use a sweatshirt. I promise you when you stand up after that long flight, it will change, will change your life. And then my third one, I have to give a Cabo recommendation. Um, I'm not going to give you one of these restaurants that's like on the water. It's pristine because there's a lot of those. Go find the place that's kind of not, you know, on the, on the strip of uh, scenic picturesque uh, oceanfront spots. There is a place called Acre, spelled Acre, A-C-R-E. If you're in Cabo, it's kind of out there in the jungle. It's awesome. It's absolutely fantastic. Go check it out. It's worth the little trip um, inland. Those are my travel recommendations here.